Welcome to Mercedes Second Chance Podcast, where we share real life stories about addiction, getting clean and being given a second chance. So I am your host, Mercedes Whitecalf, and this is Mercedes Second Chance. This is your recovery podcast for the Northwest. And today I have the honor of interviewing Maya Noble beautiful Maya, who I met in recovery. Well, actually, I seen you with my cousin like years and years ago. And then when I entered recovery, you were so beautiful. And everyone said your name and they were like, Maya, Maya. But it wasn't until I got to hear you, I think at Imago Day, you were the oh, speaker. Yeah. yeah. And I really got to hear your story and the similarities like for one being biracial. Um, and then also the brothers and the gang members, and you know, <laughs> things like that. And then um, but you had a lot of stuff because you, you talked about your children and one of the moving things you talked about was like just getting your kids to the meetings and you being in the meetings and how um, the fellowship definitely helped raise raise your kids. Absolutely. It's a beautiful thing. So, <laughs> But before I go into that, like I just really want to hear your story um, and, and kind of hear like how it came to be. When did you become an addict? You know, how did it start? How did you stop? Um, so take it back. Ooh, how did I become an addict? I don't know. Let's go all the way back. Well, I was born. No. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, you know, I don't really know how, you know, how I became an addict. You know, I, I think that, you know, that was never one of the things that was on the plan. You know, I didn't have like grandiose ideas or, or goals as a child, but I definitely didn't think that doping was going to be one of them. And so, um, you know, I, I grew up in, in North Portland and St. John's and, uh, and, you know, out there it was, you know, a lot of... Uh, it's not like what it is now, right? No, no. And actually, you know, I don't live out there anymore. I couldn't, can't afford it. So um, so I don't really know what it's like. Gentrification is real. I know, right? I never thought I would be able to say, you know, we were all trying to get out of St. John's or Northside. We were, <laughs> I never thought I'd be able to say I can't afford to live there. Right. Um, and so, uh, you know, out there it was like, you know, the, the crack epidemic hit hard. Um, and, uh, and, you know, people were using and, and families were struggling and, uh, and there was like, you know, rap music started getting popular and all this stuff. And, and yeah, I just never thought that that was the one thing I never thought I'd be, would be, would be a crackhead, you know, because like, you've seen it everywhere. Yeah. Like I'll never be that crackhead. Never. You know, I'll never, just, I'll <laughs> never be that. I right. never thought mm-hmm. that that would, that, that would be me. And, um, and just, uh, you know, my mom worked hard, you know, uh, I have me, my brother and sister, I have other siblings from my dad's side also, but I grew up with me, my brother and sister and, and, uh, and, um, my mom is black. My dad is white. I grew up, uh, being the only mixed person. Your mom lived in St. John's in the hood. Your white mom. My mom is black. Oh, <laughs> my, your mom's black. My and your dad, dad is, is white. white. Okay, I <laughs> and, didn't know that. Um, yeah, and so I grew up being the only mixed race person in my family, like my whole family, like my cousins, my grandparents, like everybody. Everybody's black. Just, Tell me about uh, it. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, and so that was always odd for me. I don't know if, um, if um, you know that could have had something to do with it or whatever. I didn't like being mixed. I didn't like nothing about being mixed race. I didn't like the color of my skin. I didn't like my hair. Um, and so, uh, I just wanted to be like my sister. And, um, and so that was probably, I mean, I don't know, but then that's just like normal stuff. You always want what you ain't, you what know? You ain't. <laughs> right. So how did the drugs come into it? Did you start drinking at a young age? Yeah. Well, you know, I think, um, 
I think that uh, you know I, the one thing that was missing in the ha- you know in the in our space was was that we my mom was just gone. We were like latchkey kids, you know, when nobody was ever there, and um, and I know she did the best she could with what she had, but you know she just didn't you know she had a you know she struggled too, and so you know we were young. I remember um, the first time this ain't the first time I drank, but this is the first time I got caught and had a huge consequence was that uh, me and my sister were drunk down at Cathedral Park. And some people were like, what the hell are these kids doing kids, drunk no. at Cathedral Park? And they drove us home and, and we had, <laughs> and there was nobody there. And um, we ended up actually getting put in foster care. And I was in the, <gasps> and, um, oh, and I was no. in the fourth grade. You were drunk in the fourth grade? Yeah, I was in the fourth grade. So, um, so yeah, that was like, so it's like we, you know, I started drinking. So when people be like, oh yeah, you know, I took my first drug at very young, you know, I, I started drinking at a very, very young age. And, um, but I still like, we were just kicking it. Everybody was drunk all the time. You know, I got to be, uh, you know, I was always seeking like validation and relationships. So I would always go for the people that were most like emotionally unavailable and I was going to try to fix them and they were going to fall in love with me and all that stuff. So I was always chasing that. I loved you know, like friends and boyfriends, girlfriends, all that. Yeah. Well, I didn't really have a, um, I wasn't, I didn't have my first girlfriend until I was an adult, but like as a young person, as a teenager, I was just always fucking with gangsters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. D- dope boys and gangsters. Like that was just the life. And, and that's really what I wanted it to be is I was like, I was going to find somebody that was just some big dope, move to the villa and um, <laughs> live happily ever Get after. Fabulous. Yeah. <laughs> Get them fabulous. Those are the goals. Uh, and then, you know, quickly, you know, I, I, I had, um, my first daughter when I was 16 and, and, uh, I, uh, her dad went to prison really quickly after that for murder. And, um, so I got a new baby's daddy <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, and I, you know, and he, he was broken and, you know, his family was struggling with, with addiction and a lot of the adults in his family were addicted to crack. And, and I was just like, I'd never be like that, but when mm. I had my daughter, I had a um, cesarean, and when I had that cesarean, they gave me Opiates. pain pills. Yeah, the devil. Yeah, that was it. And that's, that's how, how you started? it started. Yeah. How yeah. old were you then? Um, I was uh, when I started taking pain pills. I was probably like nineteen. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So then, so then, um, your boyfriend was supplying those, or? Uh, yeah. No, my doctor was was supplying those. My first, my first, um, my my first person that was <laughs> that was supplying my dope was my doctor. And, um, and I would call him and be like, I need some more, I need some more, I need some more. And like, I didn't know I was addicted, right? I just knew that I couldn't stop taking them or I would get sick. I didn't know what that, you know, I had a vision of what an addict looked like. And so I had my shit together. So I wasn't that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just knew I could not stop using them. And one day my doctor was just like, no. And this is after like a couple years of just getting them from them right from that one c-section mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. whoa i was just calling him this reason that reason you know this was happening that was happening and he would just oh shit i call him i call him at home <laughs> yeah and he just prescribed them and and you know and back then they didn't have a way of like of of trying to um titrate somebody down off of those they just stopped cold turkey just cold turkey and so I just was hustling pills and it was just a thing, you know, and, um, you know, eventually I, uh, yeah, I got on, um, I mean, like, this is my drug story. It's like, eventually I, uh, I got on methadone. I had some more, got on methadone and, um, and I never took heroin before, but I got on methadone for pills. 
Um, and I had a strong addiction. I was taking like, I would take 10 Vicodin at a time. And, you know, and, um, and back then there were just like a lot of people were getting them. So I was able to get stuff really easily. And, um, and then my bright idea was that I was going to like start you know, try to get off the methadone by taking meth, right? And so I started to... Cause <laughs> that, I thought, that makes well, sense, right? Like, I mean, you're right. addict, you right. think it makes you sense. Right. That makes you're sense. Right. I did the same thing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, you know, one's physically addicting, one's not, you know, I was had this mm. bright idea. And, um, and then it just still continued to go downhill. The one thing that I know is that whatever substance I use, it takes me to the depths, no oh, matter right. what it is, no matter right. what it is. And, and, um, and while pills, like, and, and opiates took me to the death depths physically um like meth and that took me to the depths like spiritually crazy yeah yeah because i i was on meth you know mm -hmm. that was my drug of choice and i remember being like so far gone like i would hate taking it but i had mm -hmm. to take it and then when i take it i'd be pulling everything out of my bag and i would take i don't know why mm -hmm. i took my clothes off and like i would i was one of those people you would literally see change right before yeah. your eyes you know and i would be crazy and i remember thinking i need to start doing heroin and class it up a bit because the heroin addicts they don't act like us <laughs> you know they got a little bit more together they at least take a shower get dressed today put some makeup on like Ooh. i'm drawing my eyebrows on yeah. lipstick you know like i'm out there yeah and so I definitely get that. So you went to meth and that drained yeah. you spiritually. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, like all of those things that I said that I wouldn't do, all of a sudden became negotiable. Right. So all the things of the ways that I wouldn't do what I wouldn't do to get it, the ways that I that I wouldn't use it. All of those like prostitution. Um, I never was a prostitute. Oh, but okay. I definitely traded my body for dope. I don't know how do you say that. Yeah, no, I did that too. It's like high class prostitution. I don't know if there's a <laughs> or difference. Or it's like more right? domestic prostitution. <laughs> I didn't fuck with nobody that didn't have a bag. He was my boyfriend. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, my wouldn't boyfriend have, wouldn't have been my boyfriend if they didn't have it, right? <laughs> or exactly. my girlfriend. Yeah, exactly. But um, and that's just the way of life. So I have to like and through my step work, I had to look at that though, right? Like, mm -hmm. I, you know, because I used to always say, "Oh, I wasn't a prostitute. I used to be a dancer and all this stuff, but I wasn't a prostitute." And it was like, yeah, but I didn't mess with nobody who didn't have dope, right? And so right. we didn't walk the streets. But yeah, we def they walked definitely, definitely. Yeah, um, yeah, traded. Definitely traded. Yeah. And so, so then, so then, what happened? So you're on meth, and now where are yeah. these, these kids at? Uh, my kids, they were with their, they were with their uh, family. So my uh, my mom had some, my the baby's dad had the other, and oh. they were just gone, you know. And I just was like using, and that was it. Um, you know, so in the end, what I will say is like, I didn't have any of my kids. The only thing that I wanted to mm. be in life was like, fuck with a dope boy, live in the villa, live ghetto fabulous and have a, have my kids. Right. And that was it. And all of those things were gone in the end. You know, Ooh. I didn't have anybody. I didn't have my kids. All of, it was gone. All of those. Now, things. where did the dope boy go? Oh God! I don't went to jail, or you yeah, just couldn't no, even keep it anymore. I get it. I get it. I was using the wrong dope. It was like I can't use the dope. <laughs> no, I'll be stuck like Chuck somewhere. Like I need to go find him. I can't use but I can't the dope. Take this pipe out my mouth. Yeah, it was so funny because mm. I just—I mean, like the only thing is like as long as I don't smoke crack, as long as I ain't a crackhead. And let me tell you, in the end, the beautiful people that I just thought, you know, that that I labeled the most as being just the worst were the ones who helped me. You know, like the crackheads the crack are the heads. ones that helped me, help you know, you. Mm -hmm. and um, gave me a safe place to stay. My daughter's grandmother, who died of the disease of addiction, you know, was like, was, you know, and I was always like, oh, she's a crackhead. She was the one who took care of my baby when I couldn't, when I didn't, when I couldn't show up. When the mm. disease took over every parenting and every like love that I had for my children. When they robbed that, the crackhead that I, that I talked so much shit about 
was the one who took care of the things that I when loved the you most. Need it. Yeah, my mom would always say that. She'd mm-hmm. be like, be careful mm-hmm. how you treat people because you never know who's going to hand yeah, you your last yeah, meal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so when I got clean, it was just like, you know, um, when I got clean, uh, I, I mean, I don't, so what happened was, what had happened was, what had happened, what had happened, what happened, girl, um, was that, you know, in the end, I couldn't, my mom wouldn't let me at her house. I'm my mom's baby, and I, she wouldn't let me in. I would steal her shit. Mm-hmm. And um, and she had to put up some boundaries and tell me I couldn't come to into her home, and um, and I remember I just prayed. I was just like God, you know. And I didn't have, you know, I didn't really have a spiritual connection, but I just prayed like God, please show me something different. And um, and mm. from that prayer, I'm not like confused. Like my prayers were answered. Right. Like my mom said I can come over one more time. The, you know, the idea of going to treatment popped in my head. I'd never been to treatment. The only time I stopped using was when I go to jail, right? And so I thought that that was the only way I could stop is if I went to jail. It was, so I'm wearing some dirty-ass clothes, eating some fucking one-piece oatmeal. You pick up with one square, the whole piece picks up, you know? Like, that was that was my hopes and dreams of, like, life going to be changed, like, my life would get better, is if I could go to jail. Like, I thought that was it. That was my, that was my capability. Lock like, me like, up. That's all yeah. I had. Because you got to stop me. I won't, mm-hmm. or I won't stop. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, and so I went, at some point I went to treatment, and, um, and I don't know what, I don't know why I was saved. It was nothing, it was nothing, like, grandiose that I did. It was nothing, it was nothing about me. Because there's people who have worked so much harder than me to get this and have not gotten it. There's so many people that are so deserving of recovery and this way of life that have put in the work over and over again, that have tried so hard, that are dead from this mm. disease. Yeah. And it was just like something, I was, on the, I was on the conveyor belt, onto the slaughterhouse, right? And something just fucking picked me off. And I don't know why, and I'm just, mm. but I'm just grateful. I'm just grateful. And, um... Oh, I can picture that. That's going to make me cry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when I got here, I wasn't, you know, I was a mess. I was a mess, you know, and um, people didn't want to be around me. I didn't look good. I had track marks all up and down my arm. You're an intravenous user. I had pick marks all over my face. I was a yeah. picker. I had pick marks on my chest. Um, I looked like I had some disease, you know, that somebody could catch if they came near me. And, mm-hmm. um, and people were not wanting to come near me. And uh, and I remember I went to a meeting and um, and I'm 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 a I'm a grateful member of a 12 step program that is that has given me the tools and the information to like save my life. Mm-hmm. And um, I went to this meeting and and this guy was in there and he's like, oh look, my baby's mama is in here and she got five years clean. You should ask her to be your sponsor. And she he used to have good dope and so I was like, oh. <laughs> You got the hookup. Let me. All right. <laughs> I'll go you ahead. got the hookup out there. Maybe you well, know here. Out here. Right. And he did actually because she saved my life. That woman. Um, loved me. That woman gave me my first book and, and, and like, let me come over to her house. Did nobody let me come over yeah. to their house? Yeah. Right. When I got out of treatment, she said, come over. And like, we drank coffee. Like I didn't even know, like, it was so weird to me. I was 30 years old when I got clean and mm, I got, too. yeah, I got, I had no GED. hadn't had a job. I hustled for my whole life. I had used alcohol or other drugs forever. And, um, and she just loved me. She just like, let me just like heal in her space. It was, I'm like, she's, she's an angel. Yeah. So then what happened? Did you get the kids back or? Um, when I got out of treatment, my kids were, uh, um, my kids, some of my kids were in Vegas and some of my kids were with my mom. And I mean, they were just like everywhere. Right. One was in Arizona. Like everybody just did what they could to try to like save the kids, you know, and black folks, we don't send our kids to DHS. We just like, 
somebody they go to somebody's aunts or grandmas or somebody's house mm-hmm. and people just take care of the kids and um and I'm grateful for that because I uh, I wasn't I wasn't a safe person to raise them. But um, I got so I got when I got out of treatment, my sponsor was like, no, I was like, I'm gonna go get my kids. And she's like, no, you need to figure out how to stay clean before you go get them kids. Right. Build a foundation. Be somebody that's worth being trusted, like build, do a steamable act so that people can trust you before you go in these kids lives and leave them again. Like, get your shit together. And it was the best thing that anybody the most important thing anybody has ever told me. Mm-hmm. So I was able, you know, I spent a, I spent like two months, like just going to meetings every day, like uh you know picking up cigarette butts because like i didn't i needed something to do so my first service position was like picking up cigarette butts at the meeting i went to this meeting yesterday it was over in vancouver at 12 o'clock over vancouver and um that's the meeting i got clean in and it's like i'm so grateful they had a meeting every day at 12 o'clock because i had a place to go because i had nowhere to go everybody i knew was dope fiends or dope dealers or something you know it's like i had nowhere to go i -hmm. needed to be in that space every single day and so you said you didn't have a ged Mm-mm. But Mm-mm. I know you're now getting your <laughs> master's, right? You're, t- you're, t- you're on hiatus a little yeah. bit, but you've gotten into um, a yeah. graduate program. Yeah. How did that happen from no GED to you're getting your master's? So the one thing is like, you know, I went, uh, you know, I've been around all these women, right? It's like we got some, some like amazing black women in recovery here in Portland that mm-hmm. are just like, that are so Doing just, ex, I mean, like extraordinary people. And they were like, um, I was embarrassed. I was in this space and I was doing this literature study where we study the, the I don't know, do people know about this, right? Like where we study like a 12-step literature, right? Oh, so uh-huh. I was in a 12-step literature study. Uh-huh. And, um, and, and somebody was like, you're getting your GED? That's so exciting. And I was embarrassed. I was like embarrassed. I was actually graduating the GED program. Mm-hmm. And they were like, you better go to that graduation. Yeah. And I went and and these women were all because we celebrate who we are. We don't turn our back on any shame or anything because those are the things that God uses. Right. Like, but I didn't Mm -hmm. know. Right. These all they were all in college. One was in the university. And I like didn't even like I thought you had to have money to go to college. I didn't mm-hmm. know you can get loans. Right. I thought a only scholarships. Yeah, mm-hmm. whatever. You know, I just didn't think. I knew I wasn't going to get a scholarship, not like an academic one, right? I was. <laughs> I didn't go to school. I dropped out of the eighth grade. Oh wow! And so, well, no, I finished eighth grade. We got drunk at the graduation. Um, and uh, but you know, I didn't. I just didn't know people. I didn't. I just didn't think that that was my path. I didn't know that I could go to school. And so these women started talking about how they went to school and how they were, you know, one got a bachelor's degree, one got an associate's degree. Mm. And I was just like, and there was this other woman that worked for, that was working in that GED program that was like, Maya, you can do this. And here, uh, sign up for this program so that they'll give you, they'll pay for your childcare. Because TANF, if you're on TANF, you can't go to school. Like, you can't still go to get TANF and go to school. But there was this program at that time where you could get, the TANF and still go to school and they and and they ended it I was the last person that they allowed to do that well and I'm just grateful for that mm-hmm. because I was able to just go to school because I hadn't been to school I didn't know and I thought I knew look if the dopamine's got egos mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought I knew all kinds of shit right right <laughs> and so um but I realized in that space just like I I didn't know I didn't know how to write well I didn't know how to read well I knew how to count money and dope but that was it <laughs> but that was actually transferable really transferable skills that were really useful in that space though so i knew how to do some things and um, i went to school and i got my I, I you know i finished the went to pcc and then i was going to be a nurse and i realized i didn't want to be a nurse i like to do the cadavers because we got to go like, oh, okay. cut cadavers which is disgusting but i didn't really like to do the other stuff i don't want to clean up throw up <laughs> it was uh, like our shit yeah but but I appreciate our nurses. They're amazing, and they've shown up. They've like stepped oh, up. Oh yeah, during our the nurses pandemic. are saving the world right now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, 
I couldn't do, you know, that just wasn't my thing. But I realized there were some other things I was good at. Yeah. So, so you took a change in career. So you went and you decided to pursue your bachelor's degree. Mm-hmm. And how did that happen? Where'd you go? Um, I first went to Concordia, which was weird. I don't know if this That's is people from. Yeah. Not here anymore. It was down the street from my house. Yeah. And I didn't realize, like, because, you know, Portland's super liberal and stuff. I just was, like, going in there. I thought it would be, like, you know, in Northeast Portland. I thought it was going to be, like, black people and all this stuff. Oh, no. It was, like, a culture shock. I couldn't. Mm-hmm. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't really like it. Um, but it was cool. I mean, but there in the nursing program, there was one. There was probably two of us that were black. That was, like, 500 people. It was crazy. Oh, my um, God. Maybe, I might be exaggerating 500. Maybe it was, like, 300. I don't know. But it was a whole Still. bunch of people. And, um. And I felt so out of place. I just didn't want to do it. So I don't know. Maybe I could have been a good nurse. I just didn't. I just didn't fit in. So, um, but and then I went to PSU and I graduated. And it was hard. Like oh. I'm not one of them people. You know, people like, oh yeah, I got this magna cum laude and all this stuff. Like I'm not that. Like I struggle. School's not easy for me. It's hard. It's very mentally violent. Mm-hmm. It's a mentally violent process yeah. for people like us. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, so I struggle. I, 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 every single grade that I get is, is a challenge and, and I work hard for it. And, um, and, and it's, it's hard for me. It's not, it's not an easy thing, but I've been able to get a, a bachelor's degree. I'm, I'm working on my master's degree. I had that come about because I know sometimes <laughs> it's scary. Like me, you know, I'm pursuing the mm-hmm. law degree mm-hmm. and, um, I'm also applying it to, uh, public policy and, um, it's scary, mm-hmm. you know, because you're like, I'm older now. Yeah. And I'm like, I always think like, I'm good. Like, I'm, I'm doing this kind of late. And what are the people that are looking at the application going to say when they see what I've been doing? Mm-hmm. Was that ever a problem for you? Did you ever think like, was there any barriers or disbelief or doubt? I mean, first of all, I'm a lot older than you. <laughs> and so I encourage you to uh, to keep at it. You're young. Yeah. You no, have I'm so sure. much time left. Like, oh, my gosh, you are young. Just this is the time for you to do it. Um, and uh, and I just, I mean, of course that doubt, because I would be like, oh, in four years, I'm going to be 50. Uh, you know, like, how do I, how do I, like, is, does this make sense financially also? Like, is this like something for my future? Mm-hmm. And what, you know, there were some other people in recovery that were getting their master's degree and they were like posting it on social media. And, and I reached out to them and I heard, and I just asked, mm-hmm. and she was like, Maya, you can do it. And, um, there's another person who is a black therapist and she was just like, Maya, you can do this. Like this is, you know, so I just needed some people to encourage me. Right. And that's the beautiful thing about recovery is like, I've had people that encourage me mm-hmm. and I always think I can't, I always think I'm not enough. Right. I always doubt myself. Yeah. Like that's just, that's my natural comfortable phase is doubt. And I've always had people cheer me on to just keep going. And uh, yeah, that's why I'm in the master's program. Wow. Okay. So, what is <clears throat> your relationship now with your kids? Because I know you're a grandmother mm-hmm. too. And what has that been like? The last time I heard you speak, because you're like one of our prominent speakers oh, in the community, and you're very, very humble. Okay. I'm not, mm-hmm. but um, <laughs> no. Um, but you, you're a really great speaker because your vulnerability and your honesty, like you'll go there to save someone else. You know what I mean? Just like, I'm going to share my story. I'm going to be vulnerable and honest so that no one discounts themselves and think that this doesn't apply to them. That's what I get from mm-hmm. it. And then you talked about um, your family, people in your family having um, a hard time, you know, because it's a family disease and how in our fellowship, 
we embrace each other. Like the newcomer, I remember someone saying, like I remember being like, why do we embrace the newcomer so much? I'm a newcomer, but I'm like, why do we embrace those new people so much? And they were like, imagine being in war and you're seeing other people die and they're losing limbs and they're getting killed or raped and all these things and you watch your partners die everybody dies and then you make it over back over to home u.s and you see someone that you were on battlefield with in the store wouldn't you embrace like that makes me mm-hmm. wouldn't you embrace them like you made it too you know and ever since they said that it changed the way i looked at the newcomer like you know like yeah we are people that beat all odds you know mm-hmm. and so you're always like about the newcomer and you're very loving but you said Sometimes it's hard to have that kind of compassion and tolerance. <clears throat> and I hope it's okay mm-hmm. that I'm talking about this. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> that kind of compassion and tolerance for our own families. You know, like what what happens there? Like how are you handling that? And like why? Like how did that come about? You know, and first of all, I think I'm like sometimes I think I'm the only one, and I'm not going to go into too many details. Oh about no, it I tear I my just, family up. Yeah, <laughs> it's disgusting the way I treat my, some of my family members. It's not cute. Yeah, I mean, like what I know is like it's like somebody can walk into the room or somebody can need help, and I'm just there, right? It's just like I'm so programmed to be there for them. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then when it comes with my kids, because I thought, okay, I'm not a dope fiend anymore. Like their life's going to be different. Like I done did all this work and. I've changed the cycle of abuse or or addiction or all this stuff. Like I'm the big change in this world that their lives are going to be different because of what, because of me, you know, I'm just, I'm really grandiose and ego. And, um, and the truth is, is that no, it doesn't matter what I do. Like they still have their journey and their path. And that's been one of the hardest things to accept in recovery is watching, um, my kids make mistakes and, um, and not try to fix them. And not or try feel to feel you oh, really no, can't. I try, I try to, oh, you try to fix it. Okay. <laughs> or, or realize yeah. and accepting that yeah. you can't. Uh, yeah. But we I don't really have are that. powerless. Right? Yeah. I don't, I don't have that same like um, grace and tolerance and love. I mean, I love, I mean, like the love is there, but the, the grace and tolerance that I have for other newcomers or community members mm-hmm. that I, I don't have that same one for my kids. Like my expectations are here. Right. You need to stop because you you're connected to the results. Yeah. So. <laughs> like, why yeah. would you even do this shit? Right. And so, and I realized the contradiction that I have, like, you know, the hypocrisy that I have around my children, you know, it's like, why can't they make mistakes? Why can't I love them exactly where they are? Why can't I love them until they love themselves? Why can't I, you know, just keep going one day at a time with them, you know? And so those are the things that I try to work on is like my expectations around them. And it's all based in fear, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. I don't ever want my children I never want my children, and they're not children anymore. Well, one of them is. But I never want my children to do, to have to feel the things that I felt. I never want my children to have to do the things that I do. So all of that is really based in fear of, like, trying to control outcomes for them. And, um, And the one thing that I've been clear, that I've, like, the lessons I've learned over and over again is, like, I, I, I don't, I can't. I'm not in control of them. But what I am in control of, is being a safe person for them, right? Like if they, and that's where the work I need to, that, and that's where the my work comes in, right? As I gotta be that safe person. I wanna like, if they're going through something, can they tell me? That safe person. I was gonna say, what changed? Cause I know like in the beginning, I was like that. Like mm-hmm. I would have my literature 
and I would hold my brother hostage yeah. and I would read it to oh, him. Yeah. And he'd be like drunk, high, and I'd be like, listen, I'd be like, see, you don't care about your life. You're not serious. I'm in treatment. And I'm like, you know, I'm he's here for visiting time, you know, and and I'm and I'm holding him hostage and I'm reading and I'm belittle him and I'm being condescending because in my mind, like now I'm on this spiritual mountaintop, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm looking down at him and I've got my foot on his neck. Yeah. Like you've got you yeah. know, but in reality, a part of it is I definitely want him to stay clean and a little part of it is like there was something I hated about him being in that place because there was something I hated about me being in that place. Mm-hmm. And that and that kind of holds on. But I remember um, he he kept going out. And also my partner that I was, like, obsessed with, he kept going out. And I couldn't stop them from doing drugs and everything. And I remember someone in the meeting saying, like, why don't you turn them over? Like, they have a God, don't you? Like, you know, like, you had a God. And do you really think that your God wouldn't go and get them the same way they got you? Yeah, you know, yeah. but it wasn't until you're ready because mm-hmm. didn't your mom pray for you? Didn't yeah. your grandma pray? For you? I had a little, little old lady grandma <laughs> calling the police stations, the hospitals. Have you seen oh, Mercedes? Lord, My grandma's 94, you know, and it's just like, but I wasn't coming home mm-hmm. and I didn't want to be found, you know, mm-hmm. until I was ready yeah. until, you know, I was like, okay, God, you know, yeah. but we have to let them hit that rock bottom and be like you said, that safe place mm-hmm. and that loving place, mm-hmm. not like preach recovery, yeah. but have that loving, calm, spiritual happiness happy, joyous, and free, content, and you can have it too kind of spirit. So then they say, like, what do you do? Where do you get that from? You know what I mean? And you do you feel you're doing that now? I think you're definitely Um, doing that. You know, there's days it's a balanced thing. Like some days I'm good and some days I'm not. And the other thing that I also realize is that a lot of us in this, like, service in in this industry, like, in this work, social service work, like a lot of our families are struggling. And sometimes that's the passion that brings us to do this, to do what we do. Mm -hmm. But the thing that's pretty consistent is is that I I also may not be the help, right? Mm-hmm. And that's hard, you know. I mean, we don't not, get to say where the help yeah. comes from or what it looks like. And so, uh, yeah. So I just, you know, I just pray for them. I try to do the best I can. I try to like, if I make a mistake, like if I'm just like, what are you doing? Ah, you know, I could just be like, I try to, like come back and make it right. Like I just try again. Before I would just be like, I do something, and then I would just realize that I was wrong in that moment, but I would still continue on, right? I just wouldn't, I wouldn't go back and make an amends for that behavior. And so right now it's like I learned how to make an amends in the moment and go back and say, okay, that was not okay what I said to you. Mm, you know, I didn't yeah. mean what I said to you. Like not only was it not okay, it's not the truth, right? You're, there, there's so many beautiful things. You're not being lazy, you know, blah, 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 blah. You know, it's like I try to, I try to go back and amend the behavior, but it's one of the hardest things that I – that's my biggest struggle mm-hmm. is with my kids. And it's all based in, you know, like I said yeah. before, it's all based in fear. So, right. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> like the, the title of the show is second chance because uh-huh. I feel I was given a second chance. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, I was given a million chances, mm-hmm. but this, I call it my second chance. Cause this is the one I took mm-hmm. I, Me and God had a heart to have like, all right, you, you might can work with me, please do kind of thing. So like, what do you feel? in recovery has been your second chance or even mm-hmm. at life. Like, have you, do you feel you've had those second chance experiences? Oh my gosh. Um, I mean, I've been given like grace and mercy and second chances and over and over and over again, you know, it's like the story that I see other people around me that I've, that I like grew up with and, and that I've admired. It's like a lot of them are dead. A lot of them are in prison. A lot of, you know, sometimes I'll go and I'll see them on the street. It's, it's, mm-hmm. you know, and so there's not a lot of people that I know that are in recovery. Um, that I that I used with or that I ran with, although they're starting to get to be more. And so like the second chances that I've had is like, first of all, I got my, you know, my brain ain't always right. I'll be, I'm, 
you know, as <laughs> as challenged at times, but but I can, you know, I'm, I I have my mental clarity at times. You know, there's a lot of people who will never get that back from using. Yeah. Um, I have, you know, my dreams and goals were living in the villa and having a, you know, gangsta and all this stuff. And, and, uh, you know, I did live in the villa when I got clean <laughs> and that was great. I got to live up that goal, but I also like, you know, I got off, um, assistance. I, 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 I bought a house. You know, you, I you're a, a homeowner. I'm a homeowner, oh right? And then you have a new baby. <laughs> yeah, he's six, though. So. You got a, a six-year-old, but you also have a grandson that's six. I do have a grandson, right? yeah, yeah. That's my baby, James. Yeah, uh, and that's another sorry. second chance, you know? I mean, that's that's another chance. It's like, you know, my daughter had to deal with some of the um, uh, consequences of some decisions that she made, and and through that, I got to, um, I was, me and my partner at the time uh, decided to go through IVF and get pregnant. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to have a little recovery, baby. And, uh, and, um, and, and in that, you know, my daughter also found out that she was pregnant and that she was not going to be in a place to be able to take care of, um, of the baby that, that I was going to have to take him. And, and because I got clean, I got, you were I, able to do that. Mm-hmm. It's like someone like, did it for you. You know, I got to be, and it had nothing to do with like trying to make an amends to my daughter. Like, I'm, it's not about that. It was like making an amends to myself. Like every day that I showed up, when they gave me that baby, like, I mean, I never thought, uh, I just never thought I could love something like I could love my kids. And when they, (laughs) oh my God. And he's just bad as hell. (laughs) He's just like, oh my God, I love that kid. And. And I'm just grateful that I was able to be clean because if I was like living the life, there's no way they wouldn't have gave me that kid. I couldn't even take care of my Imagine own kids. The things he would have seen out there, mm-hmm. you know, and he's mm-hmm. so well taken care of. I love that. Yeah. Um, before I let you go, I know you're busy. You got to get back to those boys. Um, I look up to you so much, Maya. I look up Thank to you, you too. Yeah, look at you. Like, look at all the things that you're doing in recovery. It's like it's beautiful. It's exciting. It's refreshing. I love, I love seeing your excitement and love for recovery. I do. That's what I love. Mm-hmm. That God has allowed me <clears throat> this excitement, enthusiasm for this because I really do love it. Like, I want to take it out of me and give it to everybody. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, if there is anything that you could, if there's any advice you have for like your past self or anybody in the process right now that mm-hmm. is maybe thinking about giving up or they don't know if this is for them or maybe, you know, they get high, but this may be all some misunderstanding or mm-hmm. something, you know? Um, you, you know, I mean, there's a, there's one thing, I mean, like the one thing is, is like, you know, if you're clean or you haven't used and you really like are just trying to get this, like the one and their cliches, you know, these things, yeah, yeah. Cliche, whatever mm-hmm. is like, don't quit five minutes before the miracle. Mm-hmm. And I say that to myself all the time, like, just don't quit five minutes before the miracle. And it's like growth and change. Somebody was sharing about this yesterday. It's like, it's like change is hard. It's painful at times. You know, you got to grieve through change and all of this stuff. And it's like, but you just don't quit. Like it's that, that's part of the change. It's like, you just keep going. And, And on the other side is like, there's beauty and there's strength and there's all these things waiting for you, but you got to go through the process. And so I just encourage people to just keep going. Don't use no matter what, you know, and supporting somebody that's in treatment right now that that was dead for like 15 minutes and they were able to bring him back. And it's just like, this stuff is deadly out here. And, um, and if you go to a meeting and you don't feel, you know, you don't feel like you belong, go to another one, go to another one, go to another one. And, and now we have this, you know, online format and, and it's like, there's so many different places and stories, like find it, keep searching until you find yours. It's out there and just don't use. 
And if you're out there using and you want this way of life, like just like I, you know, go to detox, just try, just like, you know, reach out for help, call a number. That's what I did. I called a number and the person just said, come now. Mm. I had no idea that's what was going to happen. They it just said, like come that. now. And I said, okay. <laughs> right. And here yeah. you are, 16 years later, 16 years later yeah. with a, <laughs> getting her master's, homeowner. Yeah, 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 yeah. All that stuff. But like none of that shit really matters. The only thing that matters is like, I'm a good person today. Even if I struggle with my kids, I'm a good mom today. My mom, I have the keys to my mom's house today. <laughs> the one you couldn't come back to at first. <laughs> you know, all yeah. of those things. I'm a good neighbor. I'm trusting. I'm a good Aww. friend. And um, those are the things that really matter because those are all the things that were stripped away. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you. <laughs> and to our listeners, we love you guys. Please don't give up five minutes before the miracle. Mm. And always remember in life, sometimes we are given second chances. You just have to take those and make the most of them. So thank you. If folks want to find you on social media, where can oh they find gosh. you? Oh, uh, gosh. Maya Noble. I'm on Facebook or Maya something. Maya Noble. Okay. Maya Noble. And it's, how do you spell it? M-A, the right way, M-A-Y-A. M-A-Y-A. Okay. <laughs> well, 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 we'll put it in the, the links and stuff. All right. Well, thank you. Yes. <laughs> so good talking yes. to you. Thank you. All right. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Please like share, subscribe, and visit our website at mercedessecondchance.com.